Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We are in this series in the Gospel of Luke where we have been talking about Jesus being set to go to Jerusalem and following Jesus in the wilderness to go to Jerusalem. And uh, as I thought about that, I wanted to, to say that I have a, a not-so-secret confession to make, and that's that I actually really like the Lord of the Rings movies. And um, I, I, I thought there might be some fans out there. But I have to admit also that I have not read the books. Years ago, I tried to get into the, into the books. But if you've, if you've ever tried to begin The Lord of the Rings, it's kind of tough to get started because you have to sort of submit yourself to learning about this whole other world that's fairly complex and nuanced. And it, it, uh, there's a lot of uh, setting that Tolkien does that you have to embrace to be able to begin to even read these, these books. So at the stage of my life where I, where I tried to go from the movies to the books, I was unable to do it. It felt like too much. So I, I like the Lord of the Rings stories from what I have seen in the movies, and I know that maybe makes me only a marginal fan of the, the stories, but that's, that's that. Um, the reason uh, I bring up the movies is because I think about this epic journey that Frodo and Samwise go on. And so much of this journey is about dealing with this ring and the allure of the ring, the power of this ring. And they're trying to sort of handle cautiously this ring without letting the temptation to power that the ring offers get the best of them. And so it's this epic journey where they're trying to handle the allure of the power of this ring as they go. Um, and as I thought about, at least for me, when I watch these movies, it's tempting to watch these movies from a certain posture. And I'll call that the popcorn and couch posture. What I mean by that is that you can, you can watch the Lord of the Rings movies from strictly a leisure mindset, strictly an entertainment mindset, where you sort of envision yourself plopping down on the couch with a bowl of popcorn and and just sort of being entertained by, by the story. Um, and I want to say quickly that uh, there's nothing wrong with a good Friday night movie night with a whole popcorn watching movie. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I would argue that Lord of the Rings actually invites you something into a little bit more than just entertainment. That uh, there's a way in which these movies invite you to sort of jo- go with Frodo and Samwise on their journey, so to speak. I'll call this mentality the coat and pouch mentality, where it's not popcorn and pouch, it's coat and pouch. Like, you're being invited to, you know, go to your wardrobe closet and get your coat, grab your knapsack, and get ready to go on this journey with them, because it's something that's really relevant to our lives in the world today. We're being invited to go on this journey where we 
evaluate the temptations to power that we have in our own life, temptations towards evil, but to walk this journey of, of humility for the good of the world, uh, we're invited on that same kind of journey in, in those stories. And in so many ways, as I thought about that, I thought there's something similar that needs to happen for our church when we think about these stories in the gospel of Luke. That it could be easy to come each Sunday with a uh, popcorn and couch mentality where we where we come to these stories about Jesus uh, because that's the right thing to do as Christians or because uh, we want to hear uh, intellectually stimulating sermons about Jesus. But what I hope that we do as a church is rather than coming with a popcorn and couch mentality, that we come with that coat and pouch mentality, that we come with the anticipation that there are things that we will need to leave behind on this journey as we follow Jesus towards Jerusalem through the wilderness. There's, there's ways we need to sort of prepare for that journey. So, um, I want to bring your attention to a passage that uh, comes before Jesus talks about setting his face towards Jerusalem. Because Jesus, in being with his disciples, is actually preparing them for this journey that he wants to take them on through the wilderness towards Jerusalem. And if you have a Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 25. Um, if you have a Bible app, you can open that as well. Or you can just listen. But Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 25. It says this. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save him. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world So what Jesus does in this passage is he sort of lays down this crossroads that each of us has to decide to take, one of these two paths or the other. When I think of this crossroads that he lays out for us, it's actually a little bit counterintuitive. Because we may think that the way towards a good life that Joe talked about last week, this rightly ordered life, that we may think that the good life is a life where we pursue our own interests, where we are self-preserving, where we are concerned about our own self-preservation. But what Jesus talks about here is that the way to the good life, the way to a life where you don't lose yourself, is by actually losing yourself, by actually laying down your rights, by being the kind of person who's willing to self-sacrifice, that is the path that actually leads towards the good life, 
towards the life that we actually want. It's counterintuitive. And before he sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem, he wants them to know that this is not just a journey that he plans to go on and that we just get the benefits of as we passively observe him doing it. That's, that's not what's happening. He is saying, I am setting my face, face like flint towards Jerusalem, and if you believe I am the, the Messiah, and if you want to receive the benefits of my life and my death and my resurrection, then that involves following me on this self-sacrificial cross-shaped path to Jerusalem with me. But here's the deal. Will you trust that it's for your own good to take this self-sacrificial way? I think sometimes we could look at this passage and say, oh, well, this is sort of uh, an unwelcome duty. I guess we have to follow Jesus on this path that's really not for our good, but if we're going to believe in Jesus, this is the duty he lays before us. No. What Jesus is saying is that even though it may not make sense initially, following Jesus on this path will lead to the good life. Will lead to what we long for in the end. Because Jesus, when he's, when he's saying this, he says, I will be raised on the third day. Like the self-sacrifice and the suffering and the hardship we embrace on this journey is not the end, but there's resurrection. But it doesn't come before, it comes, it comes after. So the self-sacrificial way is the good way. Um, you know, has anyone ever uh, jumped out of a plane? Has anyone ever done skydiving before? Yeah, a few of you, your brave souls. That's awesome. Um, I've thought about it before. Uh, I feel pretty fearful. I'm not sure that it's worth it to me. <laughs> the, the emotional expense of going through the process is worth it to me. I, I don't know. But I can imagine that if I actually were deciding to do this and I got on a plane and I had my parachute on and I was getting ready to jump out of the plane, I imagine that if the instructor came over to me, the, the uh, skydiving instructor came over to me to give me some sort of final instructions, my guess is that like that sky, skydiving instructor would have my attention. Like I, I would really want to pay attention to what... Uh, he or she would have to say as far as instructions about what I'm about to do. And in so many ways, that's a good image, I think, of, of the kind of posture we should take towards these passages in Luke as he prepares to lead us on this journey through the wilderness to Jerusalem. Will we come to Jesus with that kind of uh, in, intense receptivity to his instructions? So uh, today, uh, we are going to focus on Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, and this will just be a two-point sermon, and I know that falls short of Joe's normal expectation of a three-point sermon, but, you know, we're in a new place, uh, we don't have chil uh, children's church this morning, we'll just try to keep it a little bit shorter and simple, so uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Let me take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive in. God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
So the first point that I have this morning is that the cross-shaped life means a simple praying life. That if we're going to follow Jesus on this cross-shaped journey, he's inviting us to a simple praying life. And we see this in uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So most of us are a little more familiar with the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew's Gospel has uh, some additional phrases. And uh, when we pray the Lord's Prayer as a church, and as most churches around the world pray, pray the Lord's Prayer, they pray the version that is a little closer to the one that's in the Gospel of Matthew. But Luke includes the Lord's Prayer in his Gospel as well. And uh, if you're wondering why there are some differences between the two, uh, that's for maybe like another teaching time at another time, or you can come and talk to me afterwards. I can try to explain why I think that's the case. Um, a, a quick answer could be that Jesus probably prayed this prayer a lot, and it may not be as rigid uh, as we tend to treat the prayer. Uh, and so it would only make sense that different audiences, different disciples would have the, the main core of the prayer, but a little bit of variations. Um, so anyway, we can talk about that more after if you have more questions about that. But um, in this, in this uh, version, I think it's important to see in this, like I said before, that I don't think Jesus, I don't think it's his intent to offer something that is merely religious ritual. Right? He's not just giving something that's like something that Jesus' followers are meant to recite dutifully with sort of empty words. The reason he's giving them these very simple uh, explanations of how to pray is because he knows they need to know how to talk with God on this cross-shaped journey. They need simple instructions of what it could look like to talk to God as they follow him on this cross-shaped journey where there's going to be hardships. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be challenges in living this self-sacrificial way of life. And he knows that they need to know simply how to pray. And so, I've, as I thought about the essence of this prayer, I basically find four different movements within this prayer. And for alliteration's sake, I'll give you four different P words that describe those four different movements. The first is praise. The second is provision. The third is pardon. And the fourth is protection. So praise, provision, pardon, protection. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he teaches them that they ought to start their prayer with praise. It says, uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So Jesus teaches his disciples that a good way to start to pray is to acknowledge who God is and that he is worthy of praise. 
And as we acknowledge that he is worthy of praise, we pray that he would have his way in the, in the world. And so that's how te- Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers, to begin with praise, uh, acknowledging who he is. And then it moves towards provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Jesus knows that we live in a broken world and that we're always going to have need. Now, we live in a culture where, for many of us, it's not an anxious thing to figure out, like, how are we going to get food on the table for many of us? Um, but we have all kinds of needs. And this this prayer is um, not just about bread, but is about coming to God and asking Him for what we need, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, and it also is a challenge to remember that even the bread that we do have, that we think we got through our own efforts, ultimately comes from God's grace and goodness to begin with. But Jesus teaches us that on this journey, we need to be we need to know that we can simply come to God to ask for what we need. The third movement in this prayer is pardon. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive anyone who is indebted to us. So as we go on the crossing-shaped journey, we try to live self-sacrificially for the benefit of others. We screw it up. We, we are not perfect, right? We know that we're going to wreck things sometimes. We're going to make major mistakes. And so Jesus teaches us that on this journey, we should know that we can always go to God to ask for pardon. We can always come back to God and know that we can ask for forgiveness and be reconciled with Him. And lastly, the fourth movement in this prayer is protection says, and lead us not into temptation. Because Jesus knows that we live in a contested world. Evil is real. Evil is real and we need God's protection. There's going to be temptation to kind of go back to that crossroads, to go back to the crossroads to decide are we going to live the self-centered life or the self-sacrificial life. And he knows that it's good for us to be prepared to ask for help to not go back to that wrong path that will lead to our destruction and to not do it. Um, we need to be quick to ask God to help us and protect us from evil. Uh, my daughters have been taking swim lessons and uh, they're doing a great job improving and growing as, as swimmers. And as I think about this summer, hopefully there'll be chances to go to a pool or to a lake or someplace like that where they can uh, practice what they have learned in some lessons. And as I envision doing this as their dad, I want them to know that as I'm with them in whatever body of water they may be swimming in, I want them to know that if they come across trouble, that I am there for them. And I think so much of what Jesus is doing in this Lord's Prayer is he's helping his disciples to know that, hey, when you need something from God, you don't have to do something crazy to get his attention. You don't have to persuade God to care for you about your needs. 
You don't have to do something elaborate to get God's attention. Just like with my girls in the pool, I hope that all they they know that all they need to do is to look to me and ask for help. And I want nothing more than to care for them and to help them. That is God's posture towards you as you follow Jesus on this road towards Jerusalem. Second final point today is that this cross-shaped life means a persistent praying life. So it means a simple praying life, but it also means a persistent praying life. We see this in Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet... Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So on this cross-shaped journey where we follow Jesus to Jerusalem, Jesus wants His disciples to know that on that journey, we need to be willing to come to ask for help and to come to him persistently. This is not just a one-time thing, but part of what it means to learn to grow on this journey is to become the kind of person that goes to Jesus, that goes to the Lord for help persistently. Uh, There's a philosopher named Dallas Willard who says this about maturity on this journey. He says, Jesus came to respond to the universal human need to know how to live well. He came to show us how, through reliance on Him, we can best live in the universe as it really is. Through reliance on Him, we can best live in the universe as it really is. So Willard is saying that for those of us who choose to follow Jesus on this cross-shaped journey, Part of the process of that is learning to rely on Him, to come to Him, to depend on Him time and time again. That's what reliance looks like, coming back to God time and time again in times of need, which is all the time. Um, and I think when we think about that, that could, that could almost, we could almost think about relying on Him as sort of like just by, just surviving, just doing what it takes to continue on the journey. But 
what Willard is arguing here is that that kind of reliance is not just survival, but it's thriving. What he's saying is that to be the kind of person that goes back to Jesus over and over again persistently for help is being the kind of person that is learning how to live well. It's learning how to live the good life. As we learn how to rely on him in all things, we're learning how to live the best way that we can live in God's world. But to give them reassurance of the kind of God that they're coming to, Jesus talks to them about the character of this God. And what he, ta- he uses two different metaphors, one involving a friend and one involving a father. So what he says regarding the friend is that you know, if you come to a friend and they're even like a halfway decent friend, even though they don't want to get out of bed to give you a loaf of bread for this person who's come uh, that you're trying to provide for them, even if they don't want to and it's annoying, like if you're persistent enough, won't that decent friend get out of bed and give you what you need? God is much better than even a decent friend, right? And he has a very similar metaphor when talking about a father. He says, even like decent fathers that you know would not give their own child a serpent when they've asked for a fish to eat. Um, and he's using these very simple examples to say, like, if you know decent people who would treat you better than that, how much better will God treat you? The God who loves you, who created you, who wants good for you. He, his character is good. He loves you. He cares for you. So you can be persistent in coming to this kind of God because he genuinely cares for you and he's good. Um, Dane Orland has a really good quote in thinking about God as Father because we, we often know people who have, have fathers that quite honestly... You, you question whether or not they're even as good as the, the father that's in the example that he gives us. Some, sometimes we come across people who, uh, yeah, are, are they as even decent as the picture that Jesus gives of the father in this passage? And that can evoke some, uh, some challenging questions for us. But listen to what Dane Orland says about God the Father. So some of us have great dads, Others of us were horribly mistreated or abandoned by them. Whatever the case, the good in our earthly dads is a faint pointer to the true goodness of our Heavenly Father. And the bad in our earthly dads is the photo negative of who our Father is. He is the Father of whom every human father is a shadow. He is the father of whom every human father is a shadow. So if we are persistent in prayer, we come to him again and again because he loves us and he is good and he has good things for us. So I need to confess as I close that um, I've had a struggle in my own life believing God's goodness that the God the Father is good in the way that Jesus portrays him in this passage. I've had seasons of life in my 20s where I was single and I didn't want to be. And a 
almost every friend I knew was happily getting married, and it was almost kind of taunting me in my face that that was the case. I've had seasons of life after getting married where we desperately wanted to have children. And year after year, we would watch our friends have children, and we were not able to have, we, we, for many years, we were unable to have children. It was such a painful experience. And even now, as we've had children, there are seasons in our home where it can feel like anxiety, depression, there, they can be like a fog that just sort of hangs over our home. I have struggled to believe in God's goodness, but uh, in so many ways, what Jesus is saying when he says, pick up your cross daily and follow me, is that when you follow Jesus on this road to Jerusalem, what you're signing up for is that there will be hard and disorienting things in this broken world as you follow Jesus. That's not to be surprising. That's not to be the opposite of what's expected. It's meant to be sort of included in what the journey looks like. And that's really sad and it's hard. But at the same time, Jesus wants us to know that God is not surprised about what we're going through and that he cares deeply. And so... God invites us to be the kind of people that go to him to tell him what we need time and time again because he cares. Let's pray. God, um, we come to you this morning and um, we ask that you would help us to become more and more the kind of people that rely on you that we don't do that only because we can't do it on our own, but we rely more and more on you because we trust in you that that is the best way to live, and that's what the good life looks like. But we need your help by your Holy Spirit to do that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.